Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Well, hello, Caitlin. What is up? Membership chilling. I, I hope so. Uh, and of course, um, this is Alex back from a little brief sabbatical. Um, anyway, <laughs> this month we're uh, we're hitting you with a comprehensive legislative update at both the federal and state levels. Congress and state houses across the country have been legislating for a little over half the year and definitely have some things to show for it. We're breaking down legislative priorities, the impact of the upcoming recess on the Hill, as well as uh, what action or inaction at the federal level is inspiring legislators at the state level with our state public policy associate, Caleb Williamson. But before we get into that, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. July 1st, 1979, 43 years ago this month, the original Sony Walkman hit the market. Um, The first Sony Walkman sold in Japan in July of 1979, a full year before it hit the United States. Um, Over 50,000 units were sold in the first two months of its release and went on to sell 385 million before 2009 when it was then retired. Uh, Some fun facts, the OG Walkman retailed for $199 back in 1979, which comes out to about $750 today. From 1987 to 1997, the height of the Walkman's popularity, there was a 30% increase in the number of people who reported walking as a consistent form of exercise. Um, And of the 385 million Walkmans sold, over 200 million of those were cassette players. The rest were either CDs, MP3 players, um, and even some smartphones. And the rest is tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Brad and Caitlin, what are the top tech headlines? Senator Amy Klobuchar is urging the Federal Trade Commission to investigate Amazon's recent acquisition of One Medical, a primary health care provider. Klobuchar sent a letter to the FCC urging an investigation of the $3.9 billion acquisition, saying, quote, This proposed transaction raises questions about potential anti-competitive effects related to the pharmacy services business Amazon already owns and about preferencing vendors who offer other services through Amazon. She went on to outline concerns around the role of health data collection and storage. We'll keep you posted on whether the FTC chooses to investigate in future episodes of TechSwan. The FBI found equipment from Chinese telecom giant Huawei placed on cell phone towers across the Midwest, prompting some major national security concerns. The equipment found on the towers is capable of disrupting the Department of Defense's methods of communication, including ones uh, for the force in charge of overseeing the U.S.'s nuclear weapons. Now, it's not clear if any data has been intercepted or monitored by Huawei or the Chinese government, and the Chinese government has denied any efforts to spy on the U.S. For more information, including some background on Huawei's impact on innovation, head over to our show notes. Last week, the House Energy and Commerce Committee passed the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, or H.R. 8152. The bill is focused on what folks are calling data minimization, which aims to apply a set of rules barring companies from collecting and storing data about users without good reason. There are also provisions around targeted advertising and children. 
This would not ban targeted advertising altogether, but it would give adults the option to opt out if it opt out of it and does prohibit those 17 and under from receiving those ads. There are also provisions that prohibit using data to discriminate based on race, sex, religion, and other protected identifiers. While the bill does have widespread committee support, it's unclear if it will pass both the House and Senate. More on this later in the pod, including the impact that it could have at the state level. And that's all for What's Brewing. As I mentioned earlier, we're hitting you with a comprehensive legislative update at both the federal and state levels. Um, Congress and state houses across the country have been legislating for a little over half the year and definitely have some things to show for it. We're breaking down legislative priorities and the impact of the upcoming recess on the Hill. After we run through our federal updates, we're going to be joined by our state public policy associate, Caleb Williamson, so he can take us through state level priorities and um, how they're inspired by action or or in action on Capitol Hill. Um, so with that, let's uh, let's dive right in. So uh, before we bring Caleb in for a state level breakdown, we have some Hill updates. Uh, so first things first, um, let's lay out the landscape of things on the Hill right now and how the congressional calendar plays into legislative priorities. Right. So as things stand right now, Congress is definitely um, up against the clock before they head into the summer recess or what they're now calling a district work period. A little more on that later, but here's what we're working with. So the House and Senate are both in this week, the week of July 25th. Next week, the House is slated to go back to their respective districts while the Senate remains in session for another week. Both bodies are scheduled to be back in D.C. for votes in September, with the Senate returning uh, right after Labor Day on September 6th, and the House is going to be clocking back in for votes about a week later on September 13th. And now these dates could change because there's already been some rumors that the House could go back early, depending on how the, vo- the, how the Senate votes on a couple bills, including um, prescription, prescription drug pricing. But as of right now, this is what uh, Congress's calendar is looking like for about the next 1.5 months. But before Congress breaks, they have some legislative priorities that need to be squared away. First things first, chips. No, not the ones you eat with dip. The one used for manufacturing essential components of cars, appliances, and national security tools. The Senate just passed a bill diverting $52 billion into the United States semiconductor industry in order to better compete with China and reduce our reliance on China when it comes to those chips. This bill has a $24 billion tax credit for the semiconductor industry that could put some Senate Democrats on the fence. The bill will now go to the House. Other legislative priorities include prescription drug pricing, codifying same-sex marriage, a bill addressing veterans' health care needs as it relates to chemical exposure, as well as climate change. 
Um, and of course, that is not an exhaustive list. And you may uh, notice a few things missing. Um, antitrust and privacy, don't worry. We, uh, we've got updates. Um, so right now, it looks like um, the Senate Bill 2992, which is the American Innovation and Choice Act, um, and Senate Bill 2710, the Open Markets Act, will not get a vote before recess. Um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer told reporters he would only bring these bills to the floor if they had 60 votes to pass. Um, and at this time, neither bill appears to have that widespread support in the Senate. Um, that doesn't mean they're not going to receive some attention when Congress reconvenes in September, though. So we'll keep you posted. Um, and then as far as a privacy bill goes, things are certainly heating up as the Hill is closer and closer to passing bipartisan privacy legislation. Um for the first time, which is very exciting. Um, so the House Energy and Commerce Committee easily passed the bipartisan American Data Privacy and Protection Act with a vote of 53 to 2. The focus of this bill is around um, data collection and storage as it relates to consumers and also applies stricter rules for data collection on children. Uh, despite the widespread support that the bill has, Senator Cantwell and two California Democrats in the House have reservations um, that it doesn't go quite far enough. So there's still so much that could change with this bill, um, including its chances of passing, um, that it's really hard to know if the bill will pass later this fall or will be reintroduced in the 118th Congress. Uh, but either way, we'll be keeping you posted in future episodes of Textbook. So with an ambitious agenda for the next week and a half, plus an election year affecting all 435 members of the House, uh, plus 34 open seats in the Senate, we can expect the legislative calendar to have some more district work periods so members can reach their constituents and also campaign for their seats. In fact, between September and November, the House will only have about 14 days on the Hill to get this must-pass legislation done. The Senate has slightly more time to legislate, but also has significant portions of September, October, and November back in their respective states to campaign as well. To put it plainly, the window is shrinking when it comes to both chambers getting legislation to the president's desk. Um, which means that now is the really the perfect time to bring in our state policy associate, Caleb Williamson, to fill us in on all things in the state that are happening. So, um, Caleb, hello. What's going on? Hi. Um, uh, not too much is going on, but also just not enough. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Um, all right. So you uh, you just heard us talking a little bit about some of the legislative priorities uh, on Capitol Hill uh, and now um, right now and in the future. Um, so when it comes to privacy and antitrust, how does the action um, or potential inaction on the Hill um, impact things at the state level? Um, you know, how have you been seeing this all play out uh, in past legislative sessions and what can we expect when they all head back in? Sure. Thank you for that question. Um, I mean, the first thing I can start off by saying is that many state legislate, legislators, uh, many states generally, they try to look at voids that they see in the political realm, right? So they look at what Congress is able to do, but also they focus on what Congress cannot do or fails to do. And they try to enact that for their state in some way, shape, or form. Um, we've seen this with privacy, for example, where, correct me if I'm wrong, for the past three or four years, there's just been a, a notion that could this be the year of privacy? 
And many times when that question has come about, it's been geared towards federal. But this year, for instance, we saw that this was the year of privacy on the state front. Um, this year, 34 states introduced over 200 privacy bills, uh, ranging from all, all forms of privacy in any way, shape, or form, from comprehensive privacy, which is the general privacy bill that we're seeing on the federal level, to uh, children's privacy, to school privacy, uh, school children privacy, and, and everything in between. And so uh, with that being said, it's just very fascinating to really think about uh, the states as not just their own entities, but also an entity that's trying to clean up or address the voids that still exist in our society that the federal government can't really clean up. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to bore everyone with my, my wonkiness. But I, I can say that, you know, next year we'll largely depend on what Congress can or cannot do this session. Um, and I'm happy to go into that right now. I can go into it a little bit later on as well, but just wanted to make sure I got that on the record. Sure. Thanks for that insight. I, I want to take a step back because something that's also essential when it comes to states legislating is that they are on an even tighter timeline in most cases than the U.S. Congresses. Can you give us an idea of how the size of the state house and the length of their time in session affects their impact or ability to get things done? For example, how would a state like Louisiana stack up to a state as large as, say, California when it comes to legislation and its impact on the greater discussion? Yeah, sure. So I can tell you right now that, uh, you know, it's, a state like California versus a state like Louisiana, both great states, both great food, highly recommend. And if you need a list of rec recommendations for if whenever you're traveling there, please let me know. I, I keep lists like crazy. But you also have an Instagram account. I think you should maybe plug. <laughs> um, I thought it was Brad's, but it, it's called <laughs> Foodie Lobbyist. No. <laughs> no. Listeners Don't need put to that know about me. this. <laughs> So Foodie Lobbyist on Instagram has been chronicling some of the restaurants that um, I've, I've actually um, eaten at in Washington, D.C. and other states that I've traveled during my time uh, working with state legislatures. But um, I can say that when you're, when you're talking about a state like California and a state like Louisiana, there are two key differences. And it's not the size. The, the real difference is the nature of the legislature itself. So California is what we call a full-time legislature, which means that every single month of the year, they have their legislators, their staff, and they are working full-time. It's their full-time job. So that means every single day, nine to five, if not a little bit later, because we know that the world of policy does not really adhere to a nine to five, um, they, they meet and they are able to strategize. They are able to really meet with constituents time in, time out, versus a state like Louisiana that is a part-time legislature, which means that less than, or which means that roughly two-thirds of the time legislators are able to meet, um, they are able to work with their staff, and they are able to make plans. But, you know, think about it in terms of a year. You know, you have a little bit over half of a year to really 
push things through, which means that every single bill that you want to have uh, passed, you really have to focus on uh, streamlining that process. You want to make sure that all the kinks are worked out versus when you have a full year to get something done, you can introduce a concept or an idea at the beginning of the session and really take time, meet with the constituents during session, have more listening sessions, have more uh, working groups to really formulate a, uh, a, an attack plan. And so uh, back to your, your point, Brad, about the timeline. Um, so for the states that don't have a full year session, you often see things fly through both houses, except for, uh, I believe the state is Nebraska that only has one house. But the, the general process, uh, and the best example you can see is if you look at the bill history for a privacy bill out of Utah, it was introduced and less than a month later, it was signed into law. That's the speed that we're working with on the state level. And um, one, one additional thing I'd like to say about the difference between a larger state house and a smaller state house and a full-time versus a part-time or a hybrid state house is the budgets that they're working with and the teams and the you know the size of the teams so for a state like california most of the full-time legislators and legislative uh, houses they have central staffers they have a large an extremely large staff base that can you know that can answer any questions that people have so for instance if if you if brett if you wanted to send in a a markup of a bill. If you wanted to do that in a state like Louisiana, you would really need to be able to pinpoint the precise person to send the bill to. And if you didn't send it to the right person, the likelihood of that bill being getting into the hands of the right legislator is actually much lower than it would be in a state like California where you have a central body to send a bill to and the staff is going to go into that database and figure out which legislator should be reading this markup that you that you came up with, and they will do the work of getting it to them. So in terms of uh, efficiency, a larger state house has, because they have more hands on deck, they're able to make changes, um, you know, quicker. And the smaller state houses, you just have to be, it's just like with anything, anything that's smaller, you really have to be precise in your methodology in order to get something done. Okay, so Caleb, what can we expect to see uh, the rest of the year from the states that are still going at it? And what can we expect, um, especially if Congress doesn't take the rest of their session to pass privacy uh, or antitrust slash competition legislation? Yeah, so, you know, how do I say this pretty candidly, I guess, is, um, <laughs> you know, on the privacy front, if there's no federal privacy bill that comes about from from our friends on the Hill, um, you know, we can expect to see even more states introducing or reintroducing state-specific privacy bills. And to reiterate, we had 34 states trying to enter into the world of data privacy in some way, shape, or form last session. And of those 34 states, the big two that came out of it were uh, Utah and Connecticut, which made them the fourth and fifth states, respectively, to have a state uh, comprehensive data privacy bill. If there isn't anything federal that comes out from this legislative session uh, on the Hill, we can really expect to see these bills reintroduced 
And the problem behind that is it, we can expect to see a bigger patchwork created. Um, even with the five bills that are out there, there are four that are seemingly similar but different enough where that can pose problem, problems for smaller companies and other companies who are aiming to, you know, use data in those states, right? You know, when we talk about a compliance issue, that means cost to comply. And so, you know, if there's nothing done federally, we're going to run into the same issues and smaller businesses will still have to contemplate, you know, how am I going to innovate moving forward? Um, Am I going to have to hire a compliance firm or am I going to have to focus more on uh, downsizing or not scaling as much as I hope to? But that's, that's a conversation I hope we can have in more detail at a later date. And hopefully we may not need to have that conversation if if everything works out as it should. But um, I can say this, um, when, we're, when we're talking about it in terms of, uh, you know, things to expect, if there is a federal privacy bill passed, one thing that we can expect from states would be more privacy bills, but not geared towards general privacy, but very targeted privacy, such as health privacy or location tracking privacy or children's privacy. These these are areas where, you know, as state legislators, they will say, you know, listen, we understand the importance of protecting children's privacy all over the country, but we want to make sure that the privacy rights of our children here in our state are fully protected in, in the ways that they should be protected that are unique to the state. And that's something that, you know, we may see even if something federal comes about. Um, I can say this on the antitrust or competition side. Um, if, if these bills are unsuccessful on the federal level, we are likely to see the states reintroduce or introduce for the first time bills that will heavily mirror some of the language that we see in, in some of these, uh, these platform-related or app store bills as some of the industry refer to them as. And if that's the case, you know, once again, it's just going to be, one, a lot of sky miles for me, but, and a lot more content for foodie lobbyists. But it also means that, uh, you know, the the hard work of really finding a way to protect the rights of consumers, but also thoughtfully cater to the needs of businesses and especially the smallest of the small businesses. That's something that, you know, that's going to be... I don't. I don't even know the best way to put it. I think you know. It's just. It's just something that will need to be addressed, but it just won't be done this year on the federal level. You know, and in the words of every single beloved professor that I've ever come across, you know, the short answer: too long, don't read. The short answer is, it all depends, and what it depends on is what Congress is able to do, and if they are unable to act, we'll see the states try to fill the void that Congress was in. It was unable to fill. Uh, this session. If Congress is successful, that still won't stop the states from doing what they do best, which is looking out for their constituents. So all of this to say, whatever happens on the federal level or on the state level, the App Association will be on top of it. (laughs) Absolutely. And we'll keep you posted on all things states uh, on TextBomb over, you know, the next however many years it takes. 
to make a perfect marketplace for or market, I guess, generally for uh, for small tech companies. Um, I also want to note that Caleb um, is also working on a deep dive um, of sort of what happened this past legislative year on um, in the states. Um, and that'll be a blog that we'll be posting um, on our website, but also we'll be able to retroactively go back and add it to show notes. So keep your eyes peeled for that because it's going to be a really good one. Give you a deep dive in what's happened over the past year. Um, so, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us again on TechSwamp. It's been a delight. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having uh, Foodie Lobbyist on Instagram. Yes. That and... will also be in show notes, not to worry. Oh, oh for yeah. sure. Smash that follow yeah. button. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and stay tuned. I, I'm looking forward to hopefully being back and sharing more um, about what's to come. Absolutely. And now it is time for Random Identifier. Brad, you are up first. Of course. And in my continued musical obsession, I'm going to take us once again to the island of Australia for a band called Great Gable. Uh, They're pretty fantastic indie rock. They just put out a new album called On the Wall in the Morning Light. Um, So really excited about that. Um, It should... I mean, I've listened to it pretty much nonstop, so it's pretty fantastic. And they also, funny enough, participated. Australia has a a radio station called Triple J, and the relevant bands go on there and cover popular songs, sometimes similarly, sometimes in different ways. And they chose to cover Owl City's Fireflies. And I, I think that's very, A, funny, but also, they did a pretty good job of uh, making it their own. So uh, check that out. I love that. I love a good cover. Um, Caitlin, what about you? What do you have for us? Um, sadly, some bad news. Um, <gasps> the Choco Taco has been discontinued. I know. The worst news. It is pretty traumatic for a lot of people who are close to my heart, so I feel badly um, for all who are affected, Uh, but I do have kind of like a cute little uh, story about the Klondike organization. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like the the family. (laughs) Of the family? The Klondike family? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So way back when, when my dad was like a little tot uh, in the 70s. The, uh, he lived in Pittsburgh and the like I think president or founder or like you know some head honcho over at Klondike lived in his neighborhood and every year at Halloween they would give out little Klondike bars to the kids in the neighborhood which I think was so cute it also meant that the kids were not digging around for candy and trying to eat it all before they got home and their parents were like hell yeah y'all have ice cream bring your candy home we can steal it from you etc so everyone was happy, um, but now some people are unhappy. Uh, so, you know, I don't really know how I'm feeling about the Klondike organization at this time, but at least <laughs> my dad has a positive memory, you know, to last him a while. I just want to know why. Like, I just want to know, I want to know why. I do too. Um, I'm wondering if it has to do with, like, access to, uh, like, food supply or something like that, or if, like, Not enough people are buying the Choco Taco. I haven't brought myself to read any articles about what prompted this, uh, but maybe I'll find one and put it in the show notes. I feel like it's probably people stopped buying them, but then it's because they just, like, didn't know that there was a chance they could go away. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Honestly, it could be a human rights violation that they're discontinuing the Choco Taco. You're right. 
We need to, like, let the UN know about this. Yeah. Seriously. Uh-huh. UN, if you're listening. <laughs> Investigate now. <laughs> well, my random identifier is related to food, um, which is that there is a show on um, FX or FX on Hulu um, <laughs> that um, is called The Bear. Uh, and it is a show about um, a young chef who takes over um, his brother's um, like beef sandwich shop in Chicago. And it is so fantastic. I cannot say enough good things about it. Um, I think the acting is incredible. Um, I worked in service before I came to the App Association. And um, it is one of the most accurate portrayals of a kitchen I've ever seen in my life. Um, and also <laughs> equally as stressful as actually being in the kitchen. So do with that what you will. Um, but it's just like a really beautiful show. Um, eight wonderful episodes. Um, and I couldn't recommend it more. I think uh, it's a really special little little program they put together and it got picked up for a second season so um you all should go watch it because it's great i just finished it like sam watched it ahead of me (laughs) (laughs) so i had to finish it by myself the other day um but loved it and also have to just mention the ticket situation and that is what brad faced at chipotle um yesterday yes which brings me a lot of laughter and now you can all watch this and you can know exactly what brad went through (laughs) it's true just tickets everywhere there was a mountain i could have climbed it and gotten a workout yeah yeah (laughs) all right folks that is it for tech swamp If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And we have transcripts available. You can find them in our show notes as well as at podscribe.com. Just search TechSwamp. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars, please. Only five stars. Um, That is all for today, folks. Everyone, say bye. 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 Goodbye.